Hi, and welcome to Extra Serving, a Nation's Restaurant News podcast. I'm your host, Holly Petrie. Today on the pod, we're going to be talking about Starbucks closing stores for health and safety concerns, McDonald's buying out one of its franchisees, and Dave & Buster's all-new executive team. Later on, you'll hear from Brett Schulman, CEO of Kava. Elsewhere on NRN, Takeaway with Sam Okus, Sam's Pod, he spoke with Lauren Bailey of Upward Projects about what it's like to be an entrepreneur. They get into the nitty-gritty of what it's like to really start a business. Hint, it involves ramen and Red Bull. And NRN is launching a brand new podcast. This Monday, get your first dose of First Bite, the new daily morning podcast from NRN. Every day, we'll be coming at you with a brand new podcast covering the day's top headlines, as well as a deeper dive into one of the stories with an NRN editor. That's launching on July 18th, wherever you get your podcasts and on NRN.com. Now, it's time to introduce my lovely co-hosts. I'm Leanne Zinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. I'm Senior Food and Beverage Editor, Brett Thorne. Hi, I'm Joanna Fantosi. I'm Senior Editor with Nation's Restaurant News. The long intro today, I'm like a little out of breath. Did it to yourself, kid. (laughs) Oh, I like it. It, You created like a deck and a lead into (laughs) the podcast. Such writerly terms for our audio <sighs> format. <laughs> you could tell oh, no. a bunch of writers. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the news, guys. Um, let's just jump in right away. Sam's not here to distract me. Um, so we're jumping right into the news. No need for Leanne to crack the whip. We are doing it today. Amazing. I love to see it. So Starbucks closed some stores uh, for health and safety concerns. Um, which had to do with drug use, 16 stores to be exact. Um, So Joanna, you wrote the story. Why don't you kick it off and tell us a little bit about this, what was going on? So um, this is is not surprising that this happened because um, uh, the interim CEO, Howard Schultz, had been hinting at it uh, with um, an interview with the New York Times at at a special forum. Uh, He talked about how the open bathroom policy at Starbucks might not last forever. And while that policy is still in place, they are taking in, they are um, making sure that health and safety is a priority at certain stores. So these 16 stores that are closing um, had issues with customers um, and even just members of the public doing drugs in the bathroom, which is an issue that had come up previously a couple of years ago uh, when um, some employees at Starbucks at a Starbucks in Seattle rallied to get needle disposal boxes installed in their bathrooms because this had been an issue. What I find really interesting, I'm curious what you guys have, have any thoughts on this, is that they decided to just completely shut down these stores as opposed to taking other solutions into account. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We'll never know, but it makes me wonder what other solutions were talked about behind the scenes and how they came to draw this as their best solution. I will say I was glad to see that they're transferring the workers to other stores in the areas because my first thought was, yikes, that's a lot of people to like lay off because of this um, and could make workers less inclined to complain in the future. But the workers are all being transferred to other stores. I mean, yeah, there's still a labor shortage everywhere. So you don't want to let go of good workers or even, you know, slightly below average workers if they're, if they're getting the job done. Um, it's, it's sad that Starbucks can't, uh, 
and, and it's not Starbucks fault, but the things are, are have become so difficult apparently in, in these particular locations that a coffee house can't operate safely. Or it's possible there's something else afoot that, that Howard Schultz has in mind that we don't know about. But um, because, you know, everywhere in the United States, crime is getting worse, but it's still not remotely what it was when I was a teenager in the 1980s when, you know, cities are really quite dangerous. I mean, so it's, it's an interesting reaction. And, you know, in a lot of uh, large cities with robust dynamic populations, uh, Starbucks has had coded bathrooms for a long time. You know, you needed to get a code from from uh, a worker there after you bought your coffee and then you could use the restroom. So I, I guess that wasn't enough. I wonder if that's actually going against their policy because um, their policy is supposed to be open bathrooms in all of their locations. Um, I wonder if may- maybe it's an exception to the rule those couple of locations in New York, but um, it, yeah, they are, they are supposed to be open bathrooms to the public. And I think it's interesting because it seems like Schultz um, is kind of struggling to balance the health and safety of his employees that are concerned about this, that are complaining about this, and might be going to unions for this with that thing, with, with that thing that he created, that culture that he created of the third place. He's the one that put it in place, like whatever it was, five, six years ago. So it's hard to believe 2018 was five or six years ago. Or four uh, years ago. Sure. Right, four years or, ago. But still, it feels count. like it was yesterday. I can count. <laughs> um, but on Starbucks has always, you know, their whole model has been this is a place where you can hang out and work and do your thing and also buy 650-calorie, 32-ounce Frappuccinos. I don't think they're 32 ounces, but it's, it, it, they're, they're, they were... As as I remember, sort of founded as community community places where people could hang out, and the whole free bathrooms for all thing was was great, super handy, especially in walking cities like here in New York, where you know often you need a bathroom. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the policy changes and evolves company wide going forward from this. Right, and this is definitely a direct response. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not saying it is, but it's a direct response to unionization. Um, I think that if I had to guess internally, they are worried um, and they are trying to, especially Howard Schultz is trying to do everything in his power to change things rapidly. Because if you think about it, I mean, he spoke about health and safety issues with employees like a month or two ago in those forums that he uh, he put together um, and like little meetings with employees and he is rapidly putting things into place. Now, mm-hmm. Joanna, do you think that we're going to see more of these kind of things from Schultz? I mean, this seems like it was a pretty rapid response, and it seems like he's trying to to really respond to these things quickly. I mean, there's a new CEO coming in soon. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to do as much as he can before the new CEO is announced. The new CEO is supposed to be announced this fall. My guess would be maybe the next the next earnings call maybe, or the one after that. Um, and I definitely think he's trying to get as much done as possible. I think that the next thing that we will see will directly impact uh, scheduling and um, understaffing issues. 
And I don't know what that might be, but that is pretty much the number one complaint um, that we're seeing employees complain about um, when they go through the unionization process. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's a tech-related solution or whatever. And that's employees across the country. That's not just at Starbucks. I mean, but Starbucks has seen 170 stores have already unionized. There's 150 in the hopper ready to go. I mean, that's a lot of stores. Yeah, for sure. And now we just saw Chipotle get its second unionized, or it's going to have its second unionized store. So um, they're moving along. And so we're really seeing the movement pick up. So I wonder what what the future is going to hold for these companies that are so people focused. Um, I mean, Schultz is really trying to bring it back to the people, it seems like. Yeah. And this, this is a challenge when you say what you're going to do and you're looking after your people and your people are the most important. And that means that your employees hold you to the promises that you've made. I thought it was interesting. This was years ago. This was, uh, well, it was 21 years ago because it was 9-11. In New York City on 9-11, a lot of restaurants stayed open because they felt that it was their job to be supportive of the community. Starbucks, on the other hand, closed all their stores uh, saying they were looking after their employees. It It was more of kind of a retail rather than a restaurant approach to managing that kind of situation. And I thought it was quite interesting at the time. Very interesting. Well, moving on to a very different story that I have no way of tying to uh, what we were just talking about. So I'm just going to hop right into it. Um, Mm -hmm. Talking about McDonald's uh, buying back some units from a really big franchisee group. Um, I mean, what does this kind of mean for McDonald's that it's buying back some units? And what do you guys think that, that it could hold for the future of the company? I mean, my understanding is just that this, the operators of this franchise group in Florida were ready to retire. And so McDonald's said, okay, we'll buy back your stores. It's about 60 stores, which is a lot of units to buy at once. But for McDonald's, I mean, what is 60 stores, I guess. (laughs) I'm not sure how much of McDonald's is corporate owned versus franchised. Um, But to me, it seems a bit like just, you know, a little blip. Um, Small potatoes. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it seems like a pretty straightforward acquisition. I don't know if they tried to sell the units to another franchisee or if McDonald's just stepped right in. I don't know if they'll try to sell them in the future, but um, Ron Ruggles wrote that story and he's not sitting here with us today, but that was my impression from reading the story. Well, I'd love to hear more from franchisees. Um, So if you guys want to email Joanna or I, um, if you're listening to this, please do. We'd love to hear more about what it's like to be a franchisee. Um, Joanna writes a really great column about it. Um, So please email us and let us know. Um, We're really interested in what it's like to be a franchisee. Um, We'd love to get some of you guys on the podcast too. So definitely email us and keep us in the loop. Um, So just figured that was a great time to plug that too. Uh, while we continue to talk about this story. Yeah, and Joanna's got a great regular column now where she features uh, franchisees a couple times a month on NRN, so. Yeah, absolutely. I have had uh, three columns thus far, and it's been some really interesting stories um, and kind of talking a bit about not only how 
people came to be franchisees, um, but also the challenges that they face. And McDonald's has, has always owned a whole bunch of restaurants. They're not one of those asset light companies. So they know how to uh, operate restaurants. Obviously, they quite often own the real estate anyway when they when they sell a franchise. So, yeah, I don't think this is a huge shift in McDonald's policy or anything like that. And if it is, well, then I was wrong and it won't be the first time. <laughs> Well, Luckily, that. we've got that recorded. <laughs> so if you're wrong, we can play it back in a month, but. <laughs> you can do it in a loop. <laughs> yeah, we'll just loop it. I don't think you're wrong either, but that is why we record these. <laughs> you know we're on the record. It's okay. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs> Sorry, that was an old meme. <laughs> Showing my age. I didn't you're even get that young. one. Yeah, you're very young, Joanna. Ron, Ron Burgundy. And it was a meme in like a viral video in like the mid 2000s anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious about McDonald's as a company. I mean, you know, they owned Chipotle at one time. They've owned all these companies, but they they haven't had like an acquisition in a while. They've had like tech company acquisitions, but they haven't had restaurant acquisitions. Like, I'm just, I'm curious about them as a brand, like what the future of McDonald's holds, like, have they kind of become stagnant as just the biggest company and the biggest food company in the world? Like, has it just made them become who they are and then just, are they settled as McDonald's and are they not looking to do other things? I'm just curious what you guys think about that. I was just ideating on that while we were sitting here. Well, they've, they've made a bunch of uh, tech upgrades in their restaurants and you can go in now and you can order uh, at, a, at a kiosk and not speak to a human. And, and, and so I think they're, they are uh, up to date with a lot of things that they need to be up to date with. Uh, I, if I were a McDonald's executive, I'd be super psyched that uh, I was no longer worked for a company that was the lightning rod of every single issue. I mean, it used to be people got angry they would be angry at McDonald's. And now they do it at Starbucks instead. So it's kind of a, I, I would be psyched to be McDonald's. I, I think they're still doing reasonably well. And if a franchisee wants to retire, obviously they have to wear with all devices and restaurants. And, and uh, I think they're, they're still on top of what they're doing, but uh, understand on some level that if, if it ain't broke, they don't have to fix it. And they, they move deliberately with stuff like like, you know, they've been testing with plant when other big chains have, have rolled out a lot of plant based proteins. And, and McDonald's has asked frequently about uh, whether they should have more meatless options. And their response has been as soon as our consumers say they want it, we'll provide it for them. But, you know, that it yeah. hasn't been a huge demand yet. They did also revamp their McCafe line a few years ago, but for the most part, I think Brett's right. They know what works. You know, they see, they still see sales growth. They're the biggest, you know, restaurant company in the U S they still see sales growth every year. Um, you know, and they overcame that big scandal a few years ago. And I think it's smart after something like that, if your sales keep growing, Hey, keep your head down, keep doing what works. You said yourself, they've made some tech acquisitions, they've implemented those and then, you know, sold the companies right back out. Um, so yeah, I think McDonald's knows what they're doing and I don't, I don't know. Again, we record these and maybe I'll 
eat my words in a month, but I don't foresee any like huge groundbreaking news in McDonald's immediate future. Now watch this afternoon. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. <laughs> they did introduce a salted pretzel McFlurry a little while ago. You know, yeah. they're they're paying attention. Everybody likes sweet and salt these days. They're, they got it. Well, falling into some place that did make an acquisition, Dave and Buster's um, acquired main event, which also helped them kind of revamp their almost entire C-suite, um, eight executives. So that's pretty much the C-suite um, was completely shuffled around this week. Uh, so, I mean, I know there's not a lot to say about C-suite movements in general, but um it's a big story to see one company just shift around an entire C-suite, I feel like. So I think it's something to still talk about. Um, well, some so, of them, they just renamed the titles, you know. So, four of like them, yeah. The, yeah. Nice transition, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I think um, I think what's really interesting about this is, is I mean, obviously, yeah, they're, they're just basically merging their executive teams. Um, a couple of people left, a couple of people um rename themselves like you said uh like you said brett um but i think that the interesting thing about this now i actually wasn't familiar with the brand main event uh before this acquisition took place um and what i think that they are realizing with this it seems seems like a really great acquisition that'll fit in uh because i believe the main event is kind of focused on more families and um they have like bowling and laser tag and stuff it almost seems like a place where a lot of kids' birthday parties might be. Not that kids' birthday parties don't happen at Dave and Buster's, but I feel like Dave and Buster's is a little bit more young, excuse more young adults. So I think they're kind of hoping to widen their demographic. And yeah, it seems like it makes sense. It's a good fit. Uh, and so they kind of merged their C-suites. Well, and, say, and, go ahead, Brett. Uh, I was going to say, I grew up in an area that had main events and Dave and & Buster's. And as kids, we had more parties at main event. And then like in high school, we had more parties at Dave and & Buster's. So I think your reading is accurate. <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> well, and it seems like they also, you know, they like the, the management that they bought when they got main event because the former chief operating officer and chief marketing officer of main event are now the they have those positions for the whole company so they clearly were psyched about the executives that they were acquiring as well yeah and the ceo is it wrong to say that an executive is acquired i think that is what you say but. <laughs> i don't know if you can acquire people but um yeah this is it's nice to see a nice change of pace to see an acquisition where the acquired brand, their C-suite isn't just like immediately cleared out because um, you see that more frequently. So it's nice that now the C-suite is a blend of people from the two companies and it's yeah. refreshing. And it's probably really nice for the main event team who's now, you know, has this new owner to see, wow, you know, my people are up top too. Like I have representation. I know that they're going to be looking out for me too. And it's not just Dave and Buster's or bust. Um, but so I find that really interesting. And yeah, Leanne, exactly what you were saying is that a lot of acquisitions, they come in and they just kind of demolish the C-suite and they just say, we're your new owners. Here we go. So, I mean, I feel like this kind of seems like it's going to be a happy family so far, but again, we record this, I could eat my words, but it does seem like it's going to be a happy family. 
Well, and yeah. mergers are always, they always make the acquired company nervous. So yeah. saying it's okay, some of your bosses are still your bosses, it's all right. Got to appease some people, but it seems like they like them, which is, I, I think that's a really good sign. I think it's yeah. nice. It makes me feel like all warm and fuzzy inside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. <laughs> all right. So this week's interview is Brett Shulman, as I said earlier, CEO of Kava. Um, he and I spoke about some really great things. Uh, we talked about the new lemon chicken at Kava a lot, which, um, as we had for an upcoming edition of menu tracker that you guys will see next week, um, was delicious. Uh, so <laughs> it's really good. Um, so we talk about their new menu items and we talked about all sorts of things. Uh, he's really interesting and I had a great conversation with him and it's part of our snapshots of success series. So definitely stay tuned for the next three weeks where you will get to hear all of our snapshots of success three weeks after this, this is the first one. Um, so I, I like what a great name Brett Schulman has, even though he spells Brett with two T's and I spell with one. We're still friendly with each other. It's okay. Well, thank you for saying that, Brett. I'm sure he appreciates it. Seems like <laughs> we get along well. <laughs> well, everybody enjoy that interview and we will see you back here next week. Can't wait. Ciao. So Brett, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'd love to talk about what some of the contributing factors to Kava's success in 2021 were. Yeah, Holly, thanks for having me. So uh, the seeds for our success in 2021 were really planted long before the pandemic. Uh, Even in our earliest days, we were seeing success in some of our first locations in the suburbs of our home market in Washington, DC and continue to expand that presence. So prior to the pandemic, 80% of our restaurants were in the suburbs. And in late 2018, we acquired a a company called Zoe's Kitchen to expand our presence, not only in the suburbs, but in the Sunbelt part of the country. So that was one big area where as people started to spend more time in the suburbs, and once they started to move around again in 2021, really uh, positioned us well to serve their needs, both at lunch and at dinner. Uh, where we've had success over the years. And then another aspect were uh, our digital investments we've made over the years. So every restaurant has a full second dedicated uh, make line for digital order production, in addition to our in-store restaurant serving line, which again, uh, allowed us to meet our guests' needs where they wanted it, uh, how they wanted it, when they wanted it. So whether they wanted to uh, come around to one of our uh, 14 digital drive-through pickup lanes, or whether they wanted to come back and return in restaurant and sit down and have a meal and share a meal with their friends, we were able to meet them, uh, whatever the occasion would be. And, and then lastly, I'd say the, um, the continued growing trends of Mediterranean. Our cuisine is really the unique cuisine that uh, unites taste and health, where you can feel better about what you're eating without making any sacrifices or having restriction. And uh, that's really, uh, as people seek more health and wellness options, they seek greater convenience, but they want to do it without really having to, to give up anything. Uh, we're able to deliver on that and really define the Mediterranean category. That's definitely one of the reasons why I'm a Kava customer. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big Kava customer. There's one in my neighborhood, um, and I am a huge fan of the lemon chicken specifically, which I know was an LTO this year. 
Um, but uh, can you tell me some of the standout elements of the brand that that are just from from Kava's perspective? I mean, I'm I'm a customer. I know what some of them are, but can you tell me, in your opinion, I mean, as one of the co-founders, what some of the standout elements of the brand are? Yeah, I think you just touched on it, right? Um, all my co-founders are sons of Greek immigrants, and you're really tasting the unique, bold-flavored Mediterranean culinary that that they grew up with, that their families over in Greece and in the Mediterranean. Uh, cooked with their families growing up. And so uh, we take that food that really is, again, that idea that you can have these amazing, bold, unique, satisfying flavors, but you can feel good about it. And we we make it accessible uh, where, for example, our Harissa Avocado Bowl, that's incredibly popular, where uh, you can get these adventurous flavors, but still with familiar ingredients and really be satisfied and have a have a healthful meal. And and you talked about the lemon chicken bowl. It was so popular last summer, we decided to bring it back. Uh, it's a collaboration we did with um, our friends over at New York Shook, a condiment company uh, where they make a preserved lemon paste. You can buy it at Whole Foods, amazing product. And we use it in our preserved lemon vinaigrette and feature it in our lemon chicken bowl. So really the idea that you can go on a culinary adventure uh, and be, experience new flavors within uh, you know familiar ingredients and, and um, uh, get that. Uh, really, uh, without having to make any restrictions, as I said earlier, or sacrifices in what you want to choose. And so, I mean, you know, you saw this this incredible year of sales. What do you think caused it? I mean, you you talk about the healthful elements of Mediterranean cuisine, which people really were driven to in this year of of people looking for health and wellness and and looking towards something that could make them be better. What do you think caused your incredible sales in a year when fast casual didn't really perform that well? I think it's just a, honestly, it's a continuation of what we've seen from our earliest days as we've grown in markets, as we've grown across the country, we've seen the momentum continue to build as Mediterranean has continued to grow as a category, you know, 47% of of uh, Gen Z come from an ethnic minority group. That's up from 41% of millennials. Gen Alpha will cross the 50% paradigm. And clearly we see it in the data as uh, our country gets more diverse, people's palates are broadening out, getting more adventurous, seeking these bolder flavors. Uh, again, with those other trends of seeking more healthful options and not just at lunch, but at dinner. Uh, and again, we can, uh, Fill the needs of a family that maybe want to trade down from a casual dining occasion, get better, you know, similar, or better quality food experience with uh, a better price point and uh, less time commitment or folks trading up from uh, fast food that want uh, better quality ingredients and a more healthful meal. So really able to fill multiple needs in different times of day, depending on what our guests are looking for. And that really, uh, you know, manifests itself in our diverse customer base. So whether that's our 50-50 male-female gender split, uh, whether it's our ability to appeal throughout different uh, age generations, um, or uh, again, in different parts of the country, whether urban or suburban, uh, whether that's a, you know, a, a young single in the city uh, that's a young professional or a suburban family that may be coming after a sports practice, uh, we have such a wide variety of, of flavors within uh, our menu that, uh, we can, uh, we, we like to say no longer do uh, a family or a group of office workers have to uh, split up and go to two different places and then meet back at one place. Everybody can come to Kava 
and, and be satisfied and pick a meal out that fits their own needs and preferences. Yeah, my use case for Kava used to be that I went during lunch at work, that I used to go to the Midtown location at work, and now I go for dinner and I get my Kava for dinner. So I, I've I've changed my day part that I go to Kava for. So I'm definitely that I used to be in the young professional class and now I'm in the young single class where I go to Kava just to enjoy dinner. So I'm definitely one of those people that you've seen. Um, how yeah, do you think, stand out? No, continue. Yeah, sorry. And I think, you know, one of the reasons we, we cook with fire, we grill, we roast, we braise. So you can get a lighter meal depending on what your need is, uh, you know, whether it's at lunch or at dinner, but you can also get a really hearty meal. If you want spicy lamb meatballs with crazy feta and basmati rice, you can get a really robust dinner uh, a meal as well. So uh, it, it allows folks to come to us in, in multiple times of, of the day, or again, through different channels, whether it's our digital drive-through pickups, digital ordering, uh, sharing a meal with a friend in our dining room or having it delivered right to your doorstep. And so how do you guys stand out from the pack? I mean, it's so busy. It's so hard. How do you stand out? Yeah, well, it's really uh, guided by our North Star, our Mediterranean uh, cuisine, right? We, we are uh, very proud of what we do with the Mediterranean category and really defining that category as we grow across the country and delivering unique, bold flavors that is differentiated from other cuisines you may be uh, eating on a, on a regular basis. And the other aspect, um, you know, is we wanna meet you with that cuisine in many ways. I talked about the different channels we have. And then another way we do that is meeting you uh, at home with our dips and spreads that we sell in Whole Foods markets and other grocery stores. Uh, we produce those all ourselves. And so uh, if you choose to, uh, have a meal in, in your own kitchen, we can help be a co-pilot there. And again, bring those great Mediterranean flavors and meet you uh, in your own kitchen. It's very smart. I'm going to have to start doing that now. I do love the sauces. <laughs> so what are you guys looking forward to in 2022? What can we look out for from the brand? Yeah, 2022 is really about the continued transformation of our Zoe's acquisition and the conversion of those locations into Cava restaurants. So uh, we are very excited to accelerate that conversion program and uh, continue to expand across the country. So we operate in 19 states today, uh, about to open our uh, location restaurant number 200, and we will be in uh, 24 states by the time we finish our conversion program, along with uh, new Greenfield uh, restaurants we're building as we convert uh, our Zoe's acquisition. Well, congratulations. This is all great news. Um, it's been so great speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me, Holly.